Well, good evening, everyone. How y'all doing? Good, good. Hey, can we thank Trent and Elizabeth and the team? Yeah, fantastic. And I, I just think this, these morning sessions, uh, to be able to sit in the greatest sermon ever told, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and just to really get some actual, not just good ideas and good thoughts, but um, God has given Renee an amazing gift to really make things as applicable to our everyday lives as possible. And I sit back there and I'm like, God, you're so good, the way that you've just uniquely wired and gifted him. And uh, don't you think he's just done a fantastic job? Yeah, it's just amazing. It's amazing. And then um, just lastly, I, I, this is week four um, of kind of a five-week straight um, summer camp tour. And so I've been uh, in, in Wisconsin um, where, where there's humidity and bad football. Then I went to Indiana where there's more humidity and even worse football. And, uh, uh, but, but then I was down in, in Southern California at a camp and, and then to be here and then t- next week um, with uh, Saddlebacks Church doing their high school camp. I, I just, I, I don't feel like I need to say this, but I, I just, I, I have been overwhelmed with the thought this summer that um, how impactful camping ministry is. And, and like, you, you have to understand, there, there isn't these kinds of family retreats and camps, um, and, and there isn't this kind of, like, special thing that is happening. Um, and, and I just, I just, um, man, I just, I just feel kind of this sense of, man, I hope you know how lucky this place is. And just 113 years um, of, of just 500 salvations this summer. And, I mean, I don't know. It's just one of those things where you're like, what will this place be in another 100 years? And how can we sow that seed, you know? So just feel like to the Mount Hermon staff, thank you for what you've done. Just so, so powerful. Hey, um, the first night we talked about breathing and then we talked about potholes, because um, we all have them, and we don't want them to become sinkholes. And then uh, last night was all about the story of Ananias, how we can be everyday Ananiases, and, and really how we could have some only God moments. And hopefully those kind of ideas are sticking with you. And tonight I want to take you um, to the life of Joshua. And, and this character for the last year um, has been probably someone that I, I just keep going back to. Again and again and again and again, and hopefully um, after tonight, and we're going to look at a few snapshots from Joshua's life, um, it will inspire you. It will, uh, I think, give you some kind of motivation for, man, how, how we can live this one and only life when we go back on Saturday that day is coming so sad. Um, but like when we go back to our neighborhoods. And so, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Numbers chapter 13, which I'm sure you are all there this morning in your quiet time, because that's where we all study the Lord. Um, The book of Numbers, chapter 13. Um, What's happening here, it's a little bit of Hebrew hunger games. Um, If you've ever seen that or read that, um, they're about ready to like kind of go um, showcase the, the promised land. Uh, they've heard about this from God. God's spoken about this land. It, it, it's a land overflowing with milk and honey. They don't have drones. They don't have satellites. They don't, they don't have any ability to actually see 
what it is unless they actually send some people to go spy it out. And so, if you see in like chapter 13, there's a Bible in the front of your pews, but like it will have this moment where I imagine the entire Hebrew assemblies together, and it's like, from the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, son of Zakur. And he's like, me? I'm going? And the whole tribe just goes nuts. And so they do this. Twelve different men get called out. Then, this is what Moses says, verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled? Fortified or unwalled? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. And you can imagine, Moses is like, guys, here's what I want. I want every detail that you can give me and steal some of the food. I want to see it. I want to taste it. I want to feel it. I want to know what you all are walking into. Help me, help me paint a picture for me. And then look at verse 27. It says this. They came back and they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So here come back the 12. Ten of them are just talking about how great the fruit is. But what they find themselves more fixated on is how great all of the nations who end with the letters I-T-E-S are. They're like, you don't understand. We are like the size of grasshoppers. They are giants. We can't do this. But two, one that you just heard of, Caleb, and then if you get to chapter 14, verse 6, another one, Yeshua, Joshua, It says this, verse 6, Joshua, son of Nun, not son of a nun, because that would be weird, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh. If you don't, if it's like a weird word in the Old Testament, just say it quickly and with authority and move on, and everyone will think you know how to say it. Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. 
And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting too. I, I, I hear this story, and it, and, it, and it just moves me. Because an entire nation is going, we can't do it. God has rescued them out of slavery from Egypt, and now they are sitting on the brink of entering into the promised land, and it's there for the taking. And the only two people who speak up and say, yeah, we've got God. And the whole nation's like, but you don't understand, we're like grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers. Do you ever find in your story and in your life where the circumstances dictate how you act, think, and feel about yourself or about God? Your situation. And maybe you look at it and you go, there's, there's no way. There's no way. There's no, there's no path forward. There's, there's no way good can come from this. There's no actual opportunity for restoration, renewal, or reconciliation. And so oftentimes, many well-intended people of God just bow down to the circumstances. What's amazing is you get to the book of Philippians and you have this moment where Paul is in chains. He's been going around and he's been planting churches and he's in chains and he writes to the church in Philippi and he goes, you know what's crazy? The gospel is advancing while I'm in prison. Which all of the people must have felt like there's no way. No way. And the word that he uses the word advance is this word proscope. And, and it's a beautiful word because it, it, it's this word of like the military taking ground against an enemy. And Paul should have used the word not proscope. He should have used the word prokope, which is hindered in Greek. He should have said, I'm in chains, I'm in prison, and the gospel is being hindered. Bail me out, guys. But Paul goes, you don't understand. I'm preaching, to, I'm preaching to the guards and every guard. Can you imagine having to be like Paul's security guard? And he's like, hey, 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 seriously, you, you, want, you, want, you want to know also about Jesus? I'm going to tell you this story. Let me tell you, I'm working on a sermon, and, and I just imagine him talking his ear off. But he's like, if I can win this guy, and he goes back and he like just finds himself telling about the battalion chief, and maybe, just maybe, I might be able to get a conversation with, with Caesar. And that was all Paul was fixated on. Get me to Rome. Get me an audience with Caesar. Let me tell him the gospel. And let's see what God can do. And I, I think this is so, so unique in our day. Because I think for many of us, many of us, when the circumstances get too hard, we get small. We don't lean in. We don't pray. We don't see, man, God, what are you up to? How are you going to redeem this? And Joshua and Caleb are the only two. But here's the other crazy thing, is Joshua has no idea what God is doing with him. All he has is this moment. And I've and I, I realized this. I've realized that for many of us, we live our, our, our lives in the past. And we think about, man, what could have been? Or why did I do it this way? Why, 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 why? And for many of us, the past still dictates our future. Or for some of us here, we think about the future. And we're constantly fixated in the future, but we miss the moments that God has put right before us. And can I just tell you, quite honestly, every leader will tell you this. 
You can't change yesterday and you can't make tomorrow come any quicker. The only thing that you have control over is this present moment. And how you choose to spend your present moments prepares you for what God has in store for you. And Joshua, I think, is so beautiful because something happens with him. In this moment, when he speaks up, I think Moses says, man, that's a, that's a leader right there. He's not like every other spy. He's not like every other kind of person. He's speaking up, and he's calling, and like Renee talked about today, he's elevating the conversation for us to get back to trusting God. And yet, this one little moment was preparing Joshua to be Moses' successor. You don't control the past. You don't control the future. All you have control over is right now. And when you get home, your whole life is filled with all of these present moments. But the problem is, if you're fixated on yesterday or you're only thinking about tomorrow, you miss it. And you miss what God wants to do in you and how God wants to prepare you for what he has in store for you. Let's go to Joshua chapter 1. Next story. And this was one of my favorites. It says this, chapter 1, verse 1, 6th book of the Bible. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And here are these verses that many of you know. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. You do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is amazing. I mean, just three times in four verses, God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. And I think for many of us, we might even have this verse Somewhere in our house, in some bookmark, maybe some shirt, somebody has given us this word. But can I tell you how significant those few words, be strong and courageous, were to the Hebrew people? It was the battle cry for the Hebrew people. And what I mean by this is when the Hebrew nation would go into battle, all of them would be standing, all of the soldiers would be standing on the hillside. This was like the original jock jams. It was the original song. And all of a sudden, one of the heralds, one of the leaders would start to scream out, Rock! Shazak! And Rock Shazak is kind of this phrase, be strong. Be strong and courageous. And this became the thing that people would say over and over and over again. 
And all throughout scripture, you'll see this. Rakshazak, be strong and courageous. Rakshazak, be strong and courageous. Not in yourself, but in this God. And now you've got Joshua who's got to follow Moses? And, and I bet Moses is like, so bummed that he can't enter into the promised land. He dies, and Joshua's going like, I gotta follow, jo- I gotta follow like the Michael Jordan of leaders? Like, how am I gonna do this? And I love how God just says, do not stop. Do not be afraid. I have commanded you, be strong and courageous. Rock Shazak, Joshua. Rock Shazak. And, and, and I, I wonder often, because sometimes I, I, I meet Christ followers, and, and I'm, I'm constantly curious, what's your anthem? What's your battle cry? What's like the verse or the song? What is the thing that when it hits the fan, when you experience the storm, when the circumstances feel so overwhelming, where do you go? And I'll be honest, this verse in the past year has been something that I've just come to again and again and again. And I just feel like God's saying, rock shazak, Steve. And sometimes it is a battle cry and I feel it with every passion in my bones. And then there's other times it's an outcry. And I can't even scream it. I'm like whispering it like, God, rock shazak, please. Like, this just feels too overwhelming, too unknown. Rakshazak, I'm saying this and I'm not even sure if everything in me believes that I can be strong and courageous in this moment. But what about for you? Does your family have one? Some anthem that you hold on to? And I, I, I would ask you, think about that. Maybe it's some verse from the Psalms or, or, the, or Jesus' words. Maybe something that you've heard. Steal Rakshazak. But when you have a phrase or a line from a song, it's a game changer for a season. And you can just keep coming back to it. It anchors you. It reminds you, not of the circumstances, but how God's promises and God's truth will prevail in his timing. What's amazing about this passage is that Joshua just tells the entire people, all right, all right, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. All I have from God is Rock Shazak. I'm just going to try and be strong and courageous. And he's telling me to now just keep going. And so he has some words and some instructions for the people. And look what he says in chapter 3, verse 9. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And I bet he just details what God has told them. God told me three times in four verses, Rakshazak, to be strong and courageous. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Berizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. Now, so here's, here's what happens. Joshua's like, all right, all right here's what we're going to do. There's the promised land. The only thing that is between us and the land and all of the ites, it's the Jordan River. And it is fast flowing. And if you've ever been to Israel, you gotta understand that the Jordan River starts at like the largest mountain and it goes straight down to the Dead Sea, the lowest place on planet Earth. And during flood stage, this thing is moving. 
And, and all the Hebrew people are probably going, wait, wait, we're going to cross it now? Can't we just wait in like three more months? And, and Joshua's like, here's what's going to happen. All of the priests are going to hold the Ark of the Covenant. And these priests are going to stand. And I love this. The word priest in Latin is the word bridge. And they're actually going to create like a bridge way through the Jordan River. And the Ark of the Covenant, you all know this. God's presence is in this box. Sometimes I hear pastors say, we got to think outside the box. I love that God put himself in a box once. And if you just carried it, it was going to make a, a pathway. And all of a sudden, God just tells them, these priests stand in the middle of the Jordan River. And it's going to just, it's, it's, it's going to create a bridge, and you're going to be able to get the entire nation through. Now, if you're sitting there, and you're like a, a follower of God, and you're a follower of Moses, and the first leadership decision that Joshua makes is, okay, here's what's going to happen. We're going to get the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to put their foot in the fast-flowing, flooding rivers, and it's totally going to cut off. And everyone, just rock shazak, get across. I bet they're like, what? are you thinking, Joshua? And this is what Joshua has to step in. He sees this vision. He sees where God is taking them, but it doesn't make sense. Continues on, and I want you to get all of these verses. It's going somewhere, so stay with me. It says this, chapter three, verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage, all during the harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan, and their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And so, all of a sudden, the faith of these priests, boom, water stops, entire nation gets by, but it's not over just yet. Remember, earlier I read that you had Joshua being told by God to choose one person from each of the 12 tribes. And look what it happened, chapter four, verse four. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. See, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So before they can actually get to the other side, 12 men have to go into the Jordan River, pick up massive stones, bring them to the other side, and set them up. And the whole idea is, is that someday a rabbi is going to be walking with his, his Talmudim, his disciples, or a father or mother are walking with their children, and they're going to see these massive stones, and all of a sudden they're going to look, and they're going to go, what happened here? And in this moment, the rabbi or the father or the mother will say, oh, this, this, this is a very holy space. This is where Joshua and the priests had the faith holding the Ark of the Covenant, Jordan River's cut off, and the entire nation is to get to the Promised Land. Now, this to me is beautiful. 
Because when you go to Israel, you will see, as you walk through kind of the holy land, you will see massive stones like this. And these are kind of the idea, because when you go to the Old Testament, you're going to see that they always wanted to mark a moment when God did something like God seems to always do. And they marked it by naming a place. They marked it by building an altar. They marked it by creating a worship song like in Exodus 15. Or they marked it by setting up massive stones. And these stones kind of became synonymous with the Hebrew word masavot. Masavot. And whenever you said this phrase, masavot, it literally, it meant standing stones, but it was synonymous with a simple question. What happened here? Masavot. What happened here? Peter takes this idea in 1 Peter chapter 2 when you read it and he's talking about living stones and he's saying that your life ought to force people to ask the question, Masavot. You ought to live so deeply with Jesus that your life demands an explanation. When you actually are a living stone attached to the cornerstone, the way that you are generous the way that you are good at forgiving, the way that you kind of lean in in the conversations and extend grace, your kindness, your humility, your posture, your depth with Jesus in an age of outrage, your way and your choice ought to have people go, that is very strange because people don't seem to act like that anymore. Does your life demand an explanation? Or does your life seem similar to those that don't know Christ? These are the challenging words when I read the text that our lives ought to force people to say, what happened there? What happened there? First Peter says we ought to live such holy lives, even though the pagans accuse us of doing wrong, they'd see our good deeds, they'd see our choices, they'd see the ways that we're choosing to give life, they'd see us and want to glorify God on the day he visits us. Our lives ought to demand an explanation. And so they set up these stones, and they begin to move into the promised land. Now, I've been thinking so much about this, because I think when we have these kinds of weeks together, it's almost kind of this, this sense of you're diving into God's word. You're walking in creation. You're taking a train ride down to the beach. You're having conversations where you, you're not distracted because you don't have great cell phone reception or Wi-Fi reception. You can look at people. You can hear from God. And I always think that these kinds of weeks are preparation weeks for what God wants to do in the next season. And, and, and I've been thinking a lot about this. I, 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 I've been thinking like, man, what is God building in us? What's God going to do in us individually, as families, as leaders, in our churches, in our marketplace, in our neighborhoods? I've just been praying about that all week for you all. And you know, the crazy thing is I, I, I was thinking about Ruth Bell Graham. Because I think sometimes we feel like we gotta have it all together. We feel that kind of pressure. I gotta, I gotta be perfect. I don't know if you've ever seen Ruth Bell Graham's tombstone. It, it literally just says this. It says, Ruth Bell Graham says her name June 10th, 1920 to June 14th, 2007. And underneath it, it says, 
end of construction. Thanks for your patience. Genius. Genius. Because here's the truth. You are all in process. And you all are a piece of work. And God is doing something in and through you. And last night I talked about all of these stories. And I could tell you more stories about how God is in the move. But I also think God is shaping and chiseling and using this week to do something to prepare you for what is across the Jordan when you leave this place. And for some of you, you know what it is. It's a conversation. For some of you, you know what it is. It is a business decision. You know what it is. It's some sense of generosity that God's calling you. Maybe it's some sense of forgiveness, or maybe it's some sense of ambiguity with your future. And you're like, I have no idea. But here's the truth. And now I'm starting to preach because I'm getting all sweaty. But here's the thing. I'm like, I'm thinking about this today. I'm just walking around. And I'm, I'm thinking about many of us imagining that we were like the Hebrew people standing, standing on the base of the Jordan, knowing that God has something for us on the other side. And I think for some of us, many of us, maybe, we're like, oh, I don't know, man. Circumstances. Circumstances look too scary. And maybe the last year you've been living in fear. Just quiet. Sidelined. Like I said last night, best stories decades ago. And I think there's something inside you that God wants to do that says, I'm not done with you yet. Yeah, there's a Jordan River, but I want to take you to the other side. I think for some of us, we've been so living in the past that we have been going into the present and into the future with our backs towards the present, towards the future, fixated on yesterday. And I think God's like, turn around. And I want you to see what I have in store for you. And I'm telling you, you all stand on the brink of the Jordan River. Because what God wants to do in you, what God wants to do is he wants to shape, he wants to heal, he wants to make you whole and holy, and he wants your life to demand an explanation. He wants people in your marketplace to look at you and say, what happened there? But if you're living in the past, and you're living in fear, and you're living on the sidelines, and you're afraid to live out Rock Shazak, it's not that compelling. And so then I had this crazy thought. This, this I'm just going to be really honest. I do this when I preach. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it fails. But I'll get in a car and I'll drive home and none of you will never see me again. I'll never get asked back. It's okay. It's all right. I don't, but here's what I started thinking. I started thinking about what most of those 12 priests thought when Joshua said, okay, here's, here's, here's what we're going to do. All I got is the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God. And all I got is an anthem, Rakshazak, and a vision that we're going there. What I need from you, 12, I need you to hold it. And I know it's moving pretty fast. I just need you to put your foot in the water. And I bet they're thinking, man, I would have done it for Moses, but who is this young guy? Really? Did you know in the 1700s, they had never heard or never believed 
that a black swan existed. They only thought swans were white. But here's my question. How many swans do you need to see? How many black swans do you need to see to prove that they exist? Just one. And in Australia, one day they saw one, and they're like, oh, they do exist. That's amazing. And I keep thinking about this. For some of us, we're like, man, you know what? As we stand on kind of the precipice of what God has for us, as we stand kind of leaning in, maybe going, man, I don't know what God's going to do, but I'm going to step into some kind of level of boldness, step into his trust, step into his promises. And, and, and we go, I don't know if I've ever seen this in me. Yeah, I know. But you know what I mean? You know what it, it is? When you live by faith just once, the world will be able to see it. And, and, and I've been thinking so much about this. And so here's my crazy thought. Here's my crazy thought. I start thinking about all the families that are here, grandparents, who've been coming here for years. And I'm like, God's not done with your family yet. I've been thinking about all the business leaders who come here. God's not done with your business. I've been thinking about many of you who, who serve and volunteer in your churches or, or pastor in your churches, and, and my word is like, God's not done with you yet. And then I started to think, are there people here, if Joshua were to say, I need some of you to grab hold of the presence of God and put your foot in the Jordan by faith believing that the best is yet to come, who would say yes to that? Who would stand to that? And then I just had this visual. This was the visual. I had this like thought here at Mount Hermon. What if, like, a group of people just started to stand up and start to believe that God, God wasn't done with them and actually started to say, you know what? I haven't been living strong and courageous, rock shazak in God. I've been living in myself or I've been living in fear. I've been living in anxiety. I've been living in stress. I've been living in the, the future. But, like, I've been missing, missing, missing what God wants to do in me. And so here's my question for you. Again, I don't know, this, this might totally bomb, but I think it could be awesome. Here's my thought. I think that there are some of you who by faith, you know that there is something in this next season that God is asking you to do. And I want to invite you to stand. And you, you in this season, you know there is something scary and there has been this moment of like, I feel a wall and I feel a resistance. Did, did you know, did you know that Hitler, Hitler was an artist, one of the best artists. And in Germany, he actually took his inheritance, went to Vienna, and when he went to Vienna, he studied art, was fantastic, and then, and then returns back. And instead of being someone who paints and creates, you know what he does? He starts world wars. And Stephen Pressfield says this, because it was easier for Hitler to start world wars than face the resistance and face a blank canvas. And I'm telling you, our world would have looked so much better if he could have actually faced a blank canvas. And for many of us, we are living paralyzed by fear, and I'm telling you, you are on the banks of the Jordan. And I see you two standing up. Is there anybody else here who's like, I think God has something for us. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, I see that. Is there any of you who are like, I don't believe God's done with our family. 
I believe that like there is people in our lives, if we really can listen to the whispers and the promptings of God, we are gonna live a life that screams massive vote. I see you in the cheap seats outside. Like I, I see that. And here's, here's what I start thinking. I start thinking for the people who are standing up, I start thinking, can you imagine if you were there and all of a sudden the whole Hebrew nation starts doing this battle cry? Because that's all Joshua has. He doesn't have like a map. All he has is a whole bunch of people who fear going, we're this compared to giants. We're grasshoppers compared to all the ites. And Joshua's like, yeah, but I got Rock Shazak. I got Rock Shazak. And I just imagine, it's not in the Bible, but I imagine it. I imagine the first nation, kind of people of God, just screaming, Rock Shazak. And I don't want the kids to have the best time in camp. And I just thought, you know what? I think we ought to scream Rock Shazak a few times because the truth is we're going to go into battle. And say it with some level of faith. And I know, I know, there's probably some of you who are in your 70s going, wait, 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 what? You're going to make me scream? And I know that there's a few of you who are like, I've been waiting for this all week. And I'm like, I know, I know you have. I know you have. And I know there might be like someone going, wait, wait, do I, I'm going to look dumb. Yeah, I know. Welcome, welcome to being a Christian. Just step out there in faith and actually live into it. But here, here's my prayer, honestly. I believe this. I believe this to my core. The last year, I told you, it was the hardest year of my life. And I've had to hold these words, rock shazak, to be strong and courageous. And it's never required more from me, but I've never experienced more of God. And if I could give you anything, is the belief that God wants to use you. God is with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. All he's asking is you to be strong and courageous in him. So here's what I'm going to do. You can stay seated if you want, or you all can stand. It doesn't bother me. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to scream out Rock Shazak, and then I'm going to say something and then point to you, and then you're going to have the privilege to say it so loud that your kids and grandkids are like, what is going on? All right? Do you feel all right about this? Okay. All right. Imagine yourself at the, at the banks of the Jordan. And for just a moment right now, in your own way, just kind of visualize what, what is God calling you into in this next season? Maybe it's more of him. Maybe it's more just bearing witness for him. Maybe it's more peace and rest in him. Maybe it's more spiritual intimacy with him or with your spouse. Maybe it's surrendering an addiction. I, I have no idea what it is. But here's my prayers. As you say this, we're going to do this three times. As you say this, you don't find yourself retreating. You find yourself leaning in. So Mount Hermon family camp, week four. Here we go. Rock! Shazak! Rock! Shazak! All right, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Wow. I was better than I thought. Here's the thing, here's the thing. All these circumstances that are around you right now, finances, fear, all of the stuff where the enemy's coming after us, let's just be honest, he is. And if you're actually gonna lean into this, there's gonna have to be something that comes from your gut. And you're gonna have to believe this. And you're gonna have to know it, just know it, just know it. And there's this amazing word. It's my favorite word. You can steal it. You can use it in, in Greek. It's the word splachna. Can you say splachna? 
You don't even know what you said, but it's, it's the word compassion. It's the word compassion. And it means from your bowels, from your bowels. And, and I, I wasn't a preacher. I wasn't a preacher. I was a film guy. And some guys came up to me and they said, Carter, we think that you can preach. And I said, that's funny. I'm a film guy. And they said, hey, here's the deal. Here's the deal. We got a junior high camp and our speaker got sick and we need someone to speak and we think you can do it. I'm like, I'm a film guy. They're like, we don't care. Will you do it? And I'm like, sure. Can I teach on anything? They're like, yeah, as long as it's from the Bible. And I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And so I get up in the first week. I have the first night, first ever message. I have a half gallon of milk and a trash can on stage. And the truth is, this is terrible. And I literally am drinking milk because your body can't handle a half gallon of milk in 30 minutes. It can't process it. So it will come out of you. And so I'm teaching these junior high students about splachna. And oftentimes when we come to a camp, we take all of these ideas and it stays with us. But the truth is, these ideas aren't supposed to stay in us. They're supposed to come out of us. And so as I'm teaching this for 30 minutes, it happens, and I literally just throw up in the trash can. First message ever, I can't believe I'm still teaching, and I puke, and eight junior high girls have a sandlot moment, and they run up, and they start throwing up. And I'm like, that's right! It can't stay inside of you! And, and I can't believe they let me keep preaching. Message number two, you know what I showed? A scene from The Godfather. Yeah, terrible. I know. I'm a film guy, right? I don't, I don't know about preaching. And all I know is there's this moment in this scene when all of a sudden where this house gets shot up. And, and like, the, like the, the leader, you know, like he's like, he goes to see this guy and he goes, in my house, in my house, where my kids sleep, in my house. I show that and I go, guys, do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And sometimes when we make decisions, like I wonder sometimes, does God go, in my house? In my house. And I started screaming this at them, right? <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. But here's the thing. In one moment, all I did was say yes. And I had no idea what God was going to do. And it will be awkward. It will be weird. But truth be told, if I'm going to listen to anything, I'm going to listen to the Bible, and I'm going to listen to a tombstone from Ruth Bell Graham that says, end of construction, thanks for your patience. You are in process. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to cross that Jordan. And I can't make you do it. I can't make you, I want to. And I want to grab your hand, and I want to walk you through it. I wish I could get you through it, but you have to have that level of faith. And so Mount Hermon Family Camp Week 4, I'm asking you, as you stand on the brink, would you scream this with everything that you've got? Rock! Shazak! Rock! Shazak! Woo! Does that feel good? All right, one last time, one last time, and then I'm done. Here's the truth, here's the truth, here's the truth. There's a guy here. I think he's here. But <laughs> he texted me, he said he was going to be here. But he took my son surfing. And, I, and it was big, and I told you about this yesterday. And I sat there like a father watching this other guy just paddle with my son and he brought him to these waves that my son had never surfed. And I know my son, I could tell, man, he, he was nervous. He was nervous. And there were these waves that came 
And this guy, Danny, just pushed my son. And I watched it. And then, and then my son like, got up one time, and I cheered. And he fell a couple times, and I cheered. And, and I, the whole time, I was like, I, 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 I want to be able to save him. I want to be able to rescue him. I want to be able to protect him. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm just praying, will he trust his guide? Or will he listen to fear? And here's an 11-year-old, and I can see it. He's having to logically make sense. Do I trust Danny, who my dad says is awesome, or do I trust the fact that these waves are bigger than me? And the most beautiful thing happened. For 90 minutes, I bet if it was 92, he probably would have given way to fear. But for 90 minutes, he chose to trust the guide. And friends, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you have the spirit of God within you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is within you. And when you stand and you walk into the unknown, I'm not asking you to be strong and courageous in you. I'm asking you to be strong and courageous that you have a guide, that you have a father who is with you and for you. And as you say this in a moment, would you say it with the dependency to say, you know what, here's the deal, here's the deal. I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you that you're going to guide me and you're going to lead me and you're not going to lead me astray. And so, Mount Hermon, family camp week four, with everything that you have, we'll, sing the, we'll say this and then I'm going to invite the band up and I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing one song and then we'll be done. So here we go. Rock Shazam! Rock Shazam! God, there's nothing more beautiful than a whole bunch of people who have faith and I know it just feels like two words, and it feels a little bit bizarre, but the truth is, I know for a fact that so many of us are standing on the precipice of something new. We, we, we read this, this banner above us that says, I'm making all things new. You have something new for us. And so God, as we stand into this, as we sing for this, as we trust you for what you have for our family, for our kids, for our grandkids, for our futures. God, we don't want to go our own way. We don't want to drift. But we want to be people who are open, wildly open to you doing the work that only you can do. So use this, God. Use this in a mighty and profound way. And may we rock Shazak in you and only you. And all God's people said.